Hi, I'm David Legere of Woodhall Press, and you're tuned in to publish this over lunch. I'm joined today by Rebecca Dimian. Uh, Rebecca is an award-winning uh, award writer whose nonfiction essays and short fiction have appeared in national and international publications, including Vox, Exogene, The Mighty, 34th Parallel, The Hunger, and many, many others. She is uh, a freelance contributor to Hearst Connecticut Media. In addition to teaching at several colleges in Connecticut, uh, Rebecca is also a co-founder and co-chair of the Ridgefield Writers Conference, which is an amazing experience. I've had a, a, the pleasure of being part of this uh, numerous times now. She has recently completed a novel, Waiting for Beirut, and an excerpt of which was selected as a semifinalist in for the uh, Baltic Writing Residency. Congratulations on that. And of course, uh, her memoir about uh, her experience with uh, chronic illness. So Rebecca is an, uh, also, 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 so many things, this bio, uh, an editor at Running Wild Press, which again, I've had the pleasure of um, knowing them too. So a lot of, a lot of our channels have uh, overlapped over the years. So it's, I'm so excited to be having this uh, talk with you today. <laughs> so first off, let me before I, I get into every you know everything else I want to ask. You know, uh, last year I asked everybody, you know, what's something you know uh, in the literary world that's you know been inspiring in 2020? Right, it was a challenging year for many in many ways, but there was a lot of uh, wonderful things that came about in the literary community. Uh, so it was good to give thanks. So now I'm, I'm pushing this even forward. I'm saying, all right, what's something you found inspiring in the literary world in 2020, but now that we're into 2021, what's something that you hope continues into 2021? Uh, so I'm kind of like stretching this out. So what's something 2021 that's just so amazing in the literary world that you saw in 2020 that you're hoping continues? Um, that's a great question. And honestly, I, I have to say there's two things. I don't know if I could take just one. Um, the first thing I, I think uh, is I feel like people really turned to books and writing and, and art in general in a way that they haven't in a long time, um, whether it was for an escape, um, just to cope, or really um, as a as a means of uh, a, a therapeutic release. Um, so I think people are reading more and also writing more. And that sort of translated also to the second thing, which is community. I feel like people have been coming together um, in a way that they haven't before. I know, I know 2020 was marked with a lot of division in a lot of ways, but I think in the literary community, especially, people are coming together. Um, I know an example of that would be um, in writing groups. Um, yeah. I know yeah. myself as well as uh, several uh, friends have all either rejoined or newly joined writing groups. And um, I've always kind of off and on belonged to uh, a writing group with a few of our colleagues. But, um, you know, as time went on, we sort of it was never really consistent. And then all of a sudden, 2020 reminded us that we could be virtual. And so mm -hmm. we use Zoom um, to kind oh. of much more frequent, consistent meetings which has been wonderful so it's sort of really um you know relationships that already existed i feel like it's kind of strengthened those um which has been wonderful and and certainly um motivating for for writing yeah you know it's that the the, the technology angle also the way it brought out the communities uh is something that i also gravitate toward the 
You know, and I joke, I think it's uh, for introverts, the idea of being able to uh, kind of like zoom into some friends and then zoom out. And, and it's like, there's like this, um, I, I hate to say, but like, all right, you're going to hang out with a group of friends. And, all right, you have a really good like hour and a half session, you know, like catching up and then you're done. Versus like in the past, it might be like an all night affair and the whole thing kind of keeps going. Like, <laughs> sadly, I feel like in some ways I, I like the digital because I could sort of touch base now and then with the people I want to touch base with without it being, you know, uh, you know, a huge thing. Yeah, <laughs> I know that that's terrible. Don't, who don't live close by. Like, so I feel like I'm kind of far. I mean, at least 30 minutes or more from everybody. So like you said, it's, it doesn't become a whole, uh, an all day or all night thing. You know, you just yeah. check, in, check out and it's, there's no drive. You're not, you know, like not that it's a waste of gas to see friends, but you know, I know it's, it's terrible. My friends are probably like, you're going to listen to this later. They're like, what the hell? You don't, you don't want to hang out with them? No, 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 no. <laughs> right, so, Kind of jumping right in. I, you know, I want to talk more about you, you know your writing experience here, and particularly uh, you know you've, you've written about this memoir about chronic illness and you know these t personal topics, you know mental health issues, um, and it goes into you know sexual assault and these other these very personal issues. How uh, challenging? was it to to write about memoir or to write a memoir about chronic illness and these issues like you know i'd like to hear more about your about your process and what you went through sure thank you um as you said it's certainly challenging to write about um personal topics um and to be vulnerable um in yeah. writing to be vulnerable in general is certainly challenging um but the the most difficult thing i think is to write openly about personal like intimate things so when you're dealing with you know chronic illness you know that doesn't it's it's all encompassing it's not simply um you know just the the physical ailments it's like the mental as well and and as you stated i, I touch on some other um things that have happened that sort of um kind of everything i believe sort of is interconnected um, when it comes to health. And so the, the purpose of the memoir isn't simply to share those experiences, but it's to connect with other people. And also um, it's about healing um, and finding healthy ways of coping um, with physical and, and certainly mental um, health issues as well. But I think in, in general, talking about and being open about intimate things, whether it's, um, you know, physical or mental, it, it's, it's not easy to do. And it's especially difficult when you're putting it into words and you're yeah. sharing it with, you know, people that you don't know. But um, I, w I would say that one thing that sort of helped me kind of overcome that, my, my he I was hesitant. I, I don't actually enjoy writing nonfiction, but it seems to be that all the pieces that I've written that have been nonfiction seem to resonate with people. Um, and I've had more people reach out um, in response to it. So that sort of has motivated me to like kind of put things together into a memoir. Um, people, women uh, especially, have reached out from all over the country who've read like, um, I've, I also used to write a column about the, the chronic illness and, and it's reached a lot of people. And, and a lot of these women feel so isolated, so alone, like nobody can possibly understand, you know, 
what this is like. So to, to share that my experience and be able to connect with somebody else and at least let them know that they're not, you know, going through these things alone, that there's other people who've gone through it too. Even if my experience with healing doesn't, even if that doesn't necessarily help them, like if they don't see any results from that, that's, I think it's more important just to share the experiences and let people know they're not alone. So that's, that has kind of allowed me to, to go there. <laughs> You know, as you're speaking, I was having all these multiple questions coming just from what you were saying. I was just thinking, and, and one thing that kind of grabs me is this idea that the nonfiction you've written has resonated more with your audience than the fiction you've written. And is it because are you allowing yourself to be more vulnerable in your nonfiction than you are in fiction? Because, right, there shouldn't be that division, yet I think sometimes there is. So is there... Something about vulnerability in your nonfiction that's you, you not found in your fiction. That's a really great question. And to be honest, <laughs> I hadn't really, <laughs> I hadn't really thought about that. You're going to make me go back now and like reevaluate all of my fiction. Um, right? I think you might be right. I think for some reason I've given myself permission. Yeah. To be vulnerable in nonfiction because I feel like it's my obligation. Um, like yeah. If I'm going to, you know, go there, I need to really truly delve into every aspect perhaps in my fiction maybe i'm a little bit more restrained um we'll find i, I wrote um my i have a, a short story that's coming out um this spring um in a, in a mag glassworks magazine it's called hashtag happy and Ooh. it's fiction but it, it yeah. actually explores um uh it, it also deals with mental health issues but um particularly with new mothers and postpartum depression and all that. So I feel like I may have, hopefully that sort of vulnerability and openness kind of translated into the fiction. We'll find out. We'll see how it's, how, how well it's received. I think it was, it was hard. It was actually very difficult to get published because a lot of editors responded um, to, to the submission with, well, you know, people don't really want to talk about these issues. <laughs> like it's a very, because I mean, it deals with um, suicidal, uh, thoughts um, as as well, so so you know a lot of editors didn't even want to touch it. They they were pretty blunt about it too. They were just like, oh uh, yeah, no, a lot of people aren't going to want to read this or publish this. So good luck. <laughs> you know that's tough though. There is a market for it, but you're right. You know I I have a, a book I, I sent out recently. I was trying to get a copy editor, and I was surprised. I actually got turned down by several copy editors because the subject matter um, was about. Uh, complications having to do with pregnancy. And uh, the editors that I had run it past, um, you know, eventually I, I actually, you know, found a copy editor, but I went through probably like maybe three copy editors that all said some version of, uh, they just didn't want to, 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 to work on it. Like psychologically, they just had a hard time approaching the subject matter, which again, th that struck me because if you're a professional, you know, like, I, I don't know, like I get it. When you read something, it imprints on you. Even if it, even if you're, you know, uh, an editor and you're just working on it, it's still imprinting on you. Um, so I get it. I get it. But it was fascinating you bring that up. So kind of circling back to the earlier point that you'd said, like how you it took a while for you to write nonfiction to, to get to that point of vulnerability. Are there any tips or for anybody listening um, to help them get to that level where you could write this personal memoir was it starting with like you know was it like micro memoir were you doing like flash nonfiction? like what were the baby steps you were taking to get to that 
stage of like utter vulnerability? <laughs> um, that's, I mean, that's such a great question. And I, I'm not sure if it's any one particular thing. I think for me personally, it definitely was baby steps. You know, it was writing mm. that first piece. Um, it actually, to be honest, as I'm thinking back now, um, I participated a few years ago in uh, the CWP at Fairfield University with Ryan Crandall amazing, amazing program, teaching writing. Um, and we did this writing um, exercise um, that's for, I, I don't remember what the exact pro prompt was, but I began writing about um, an incident that I, I never planned on writing about. That was the, the sexual assault. But it started with this writing prompt. And then I started writing about it and exploring it in a way and it like a completely new way and it was so therapeutic that and it started off as just like a writing prompt for the class and then it was a writing exercise for myself and then it sort of morphed into a more coherent cohesive piece and so i ended up sending it out and it was ultimately published in box first person and i and it, it like it was crazy the people who reached out and and that was like the first experience I think I had of of writing that kind of um that kind of nonfiction and and from there I felt a little bit more comfortable like okay well maybe I can write about this and so um and then again with my chronic illness it was um that began as a column because I wrote like a a shorter piece that someone had read and they reached out and they're like oh can you write would you be willing to write a monthly column about this um, and then as more people reached out, I kind of, I realized that the people, I guess, want to hear these things. So even though it may be difficult to share, it kind of inspired me to want to keep going. So I, I think if, for, if I was to boil it down to, to what the crux of this is, um, you know, write for yourself. And, and if, if that, um, if it feels okay, if, it, if you feel comfortable doing it, you know, push yourself a little bit more, a little bit more, but baby steps, I would say are very important. I like that, the baby steps. Uh, and it kind of goes sort of into this, you know, you're this multifaceted writer. And what I love, too, is that you're, you've kind of written this cultural historical narrative, right? So the novel's set in 1950s Lebanon and Danbury, Connecticut, right? Like, this is just, it's, it's fascinating to me. So how do you get into this? So now this is, so you're, one of the things I love about you is this, how you're able to just kind of go into all these various areas of writing and pull them together. And in this case, you're, you know, you've gone now into the historical narrative. Um, what was, I'm going to say first, the most interesting part, but also uh, the most challenging part as well about uh, historical narratives? Because I, I get a lot of authors, especially lately, we're very interested in writing historical fiction. It's a historical fiction and nonfiction. It's a hot thing right now. Uh, so I'm curious, what was your process like for this? <laughs> um, great, great questions. Um, sorry, by the way, I'm sorry. It's getting, it's getting really dark in here. I forgot it. it the sun sets so early. <laughs> yeah, you're slowly getting dark on me. I'm like, well, let's go with it. <laughs> I realize that. Hold on. I'm going to just turn a light on so you can actually before it gets too dark. I apologize. Um, <laughs> it's okay. It's like I, okay. I, I watch you slowly getting darker, but for anybody, um, this will also be on the, the podcast published this, so they won't, people won't see it. Oh, but okay. if anybody's interested in watching, watch the darkening, uh, go to Instagram Live or, or our Facebook page. <laughs> All right. So uh, keep going. Okay. So, um, so, yeah, 
So I would say that the most interesting thing, I mean, I minored in history in college, so I've always been fascinated. Um, and this particular novel is uh, draws upon my family history. So learning, um, learning about my family, of course, is fascinating. And I was able to, um, I was very fortunate to travel to Lebanon in, uh, I guess it was almost nine years ago now, um, because I felt like I couldn't write about um, Lebanon, even though obviously 1950s Beirut doesn't exist. It's not the same anymore. There's been so many changes in, in so many different aspects of things. Like it doesn't exist. You can't get back there. But to be able to go there and see the city and experience the culture firsthand. Um, my dad is Lebanese. Um, so my dad's family is Lebanese. So I'm, of course, familiar with a lot of customs and and family rituals and all of that, but and, and some of the language, but to really be in the country and really immerse yourself, have this like immersive experience. Like I brought my journal with me every day in the hotel. I went by myself too, which n now I don't know, maybe because I'm older and I have a daughter of my own. I'm not sure that my poor parents, I don't know how I would have felt about my daughter traveling all alone halfway across the world, not like anybody in the country. But you know what? It was like it was like going home in a weird way. Like I, people treated me there as if I they had known me forever. I, I encountered um, a distant re relative, a, a cousin of my father's, that we didn't even we didn't even realize we still had family there. Um, but I had um, a driver take me into the small village in the mountains called Anbani, and um, while I was there, I met this man who happened to be a distant cousin, and he just welcomed me into his home, and I met his children, and it was just being able to sit there and just connect with these people. I still keep in touch with them. Um, actually, they're, they're on Instagram, so I might, maybe, maybe they'll tune in. Um, so to do that part of the research, I just it was so interesting to really get into the culture and have this immersive experience. And then, of course, a lot of reading is involved as well, because, you know, to learn about you know what Beirut was like what you know Lebanon was like what even Connecticut I mean um learning about uh, Connecticut in the 1950s you know it was the hat capital of the world and oh, yeah. such a cool place and so multicultural and it was just fascinating to learn about um so that was certainly the most interesting part of it and then I guess the second part of the question most challenging, of course, is trying to, um, you know, do that time period justice, you know, yeah. try to recreate this world that, you know, existed so long ago in writing, and also giving myself permission, you know, to share to, to create characters that are based on real people and real experiences, but that are so much different from my own. Um, being able to, because I want to be as authentic as possible and to do their stories justice. Um, particularly, my grand the the stories inspired by my grandfather, um, and he was uh, a gay man living in the 1950s. Uh, he was obviously also a Lebanese Catholic, so there was a lot of um, complications, of course. And so, trying to you know tell that story um, is is both fascinating and and challenging, of course. You know, as you're saying this, I'm just thinking, uh, you know, the, the, the challenges involved. Did you ever do something like uh, Ancestry.com or 23andMe to kind of start this process? Because I'm curious, what was your, like, how do you even begin, you know, putting together that family tree? Yeah, actually, my dad gave me, um, as a Christmas present a few, a few years back, he, he did the, we all, my sisters and I all did it. 
actually. It was so yeah. cool to see. And then you get like the distant cousins that like match. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Last week I got a, an email be, from Ancestry.com being like, oh, you have a new cousin who's on like <laughs> your father's third cousin. Were there any surprises? I, I also did the uh, 23 and Me, and I had a couple surprises in there. Oh, you did? <laughs> I did. I ended up being, uh, I was like, I'm like 15% Finnish. Oh. And I was, and I was like, and I asked my parents, I'm like, uh, who's Finnish? And they're like, oh, I, I don't know. We don't know any, any, and I'm like, I have all these cousins. I go, look at these cousins. And I'm like, they're all in Finland. So that was like a, a fun revelation. Um, Finnish. I had no idea. Nobody in my family ever knew that. Uh, did you have any like surprises like that? Um, there, there was like a small percentage of like Italian that mm. we're, we're like, wait, Italian? We're like, well, Mediterranean Sea, yeah, yeah, it kind of makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I, it's so fun charting your genealogy. And I think that could be both a, a very fun part and a difficult part for anybody that's truly interested, interested in writing, um, especially a historical memoir of sorts, uh, but definitely historical fiction, getting the time periods right and accurate. Uh, everybody I've talked to that's, that's written successful historical um, fiction always talks about just how much time they'll spend research, even something like um, the hats somebody yeah. would wear in a time period, like what kind of hat are you wearing and the different yeah. types of hats and what they're called and what the slang is for the yeah. hats. It's just, sure. right? <laughs> yeah, I spent so much time doing that. I mean, I love that stuff. So to me, it didn't really feel like work. But yeah, it's yeah. So even like little colloquialisms yeah. that were different then versus now. Like, I mean, yeah, every detail has to be so carefully researched. So, uh, you know, kind of like switching gears a little bit, you know, you wrote this, you've been writing, you're a writer, but during a pandemic. and and I'm fascinated by everybody I talk to that, you know, it seems to go one way or the other. I know so many writers who this pandemic, they've never written more than they ever have in their entire lives. And then other people who have written nothing during the pandemic, almost because of the pressure, you think, oh, well, I'm at home. I must write now. And it actually has like a, a reverse effect. But how has your writing practice been during the pandemic? Well, I've always <laughs> thrived under pressure. So, like, I, I'm a big procrastinator, and I do better when I, like, I have to get this done now. Like, oh, projects due tomorrow? Mm, let's get this started. You know, I've got three hours. Yeah. I love it. So, to me, having the more stress, the, the less time, I seem to use my time more productively. I mean, also yeah. having two-year-olds, um, <laughs> that itself is, is certainly takes up a lot of time, but I feel like it's... Um, being a mom, being a working mom during a pandemic has certainly forced me to use every minute as as well as I possibly can. Um, and so I'm I'm a lot more productive with my time. I feel like I have, I don't really have as much wasted time as I used to. Like, I, I, I try to use it better. And so I've um, kind of, I guess, sort of established my own writing rituals. You know, okay, my daughter's going down for her nap. From, you know, one to three, that's writing time. You know, I don't care what needs to be done. I know there's, you know, dishes that need to be washed or whatever. But no, this is the time that I'm going to use, even if I only use like an hour of it to write. 
I feel mm-hmm. like for me that like regular daily practice um, has been so important. Um, and it really kind of helped me to, um, I guess, maintain some, maintain some sense of normalcy and consistency during a time that is, it's certainly not. hundred <laughs> percent. I, you know, I couldn't agree, especially as you get older, I find, uh, it becomes more and more. And I felt like when I was in my early twenties, there's this idea like, Oh, you'll write when you're in the inspired, right. yeah. like I'll write, I'll write whatever. And, and you don't treat writing, uh, and art as a business that you can actually, um, make yourself produce, right? Like you can actually force yourself to, uh, get a little bit more. I call it, it's just disciplined, right? You get more disciplined and your time becomes, as you said, so much more valuable. Uh, and I don't know if you're like me, but I, I actually have gotten to the point now, you know, you have all the calendars, but I actually started an Excel spreadsheet. I started this about a year ago and I actually put down now, I'm forcing myself every single day, days out. I type in all the day and I type in minutes, like 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. Okay. You know, five minutes, uh, I, I set aside a time, call mom and I'll set aside the time. And I actually now budget really almost down to the minute in order to maximize uh, productivity. And it's a little, I, I suppose, a little crazy at times, but it's uh, been super valuable, even just to visually see it, just like, boom. Well, if I could do a big whiteboard, like across my wall here, it's a huge one, and literally write it all out, I probably would. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. See, you're so much more organized about it than me. I write on, like, you could say on the backs of envelopes. <laughs> <laughs> I write it all down. I just, whatever, whatever's nearby. I'm like, oh, old mail. I didn't open. Let's write my schedule down for the day. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, kind of on that note, uh, you know, scribblings and just jotting things down and writing in general. Um, this is kind of like a big, just generalized question even, but what do you just enjoy most about the writing process? And, and you know, you mentioned fiction and nonfiction. Do you, you know, do you prefer one over the other? <laughs> so um i would say actually my favorite part about the writing process itself is the revision um yeah. i i feel like I, I love i love first drafts but they're always messy and you know there might be like a couple of great sentences buried you know under like a big mess of whatever <laughs> so i always like to kind of go back um, for like a second and a third, like those those multiple drafts, I find really yeah. exciting. Like trying to find those really, um, you know, sparkling sentences or, you know, ideas that are kind of, you know, buried beneath a lot of stuff that you don't need. Um, so to me, it's really fun trying to to put it all together um, and to, to really refine it and polish it. Um, yeah. And then in terms of fiction, so it's funny, I actually prefer writing fiction um, over nonfiction. However, I would say that nonfiction is more rewarding. <laughs> so and I, I get it's more therapeutic. So even though like, <laughs> fiction is, is a lot more fun, I think that nonfiction is certainly valuable in that, it, 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 like I said, it's, it's, um, it's more therapeutic. and. Um, and rewarding kind of tying back to my to a, an earlier question <laughs> i i you know by the way also my uh, furnace just clicked on so if you hear like noise that's that's the the noise you're hearing right now it's a, i'm up in the attic my attic office here so it's also got the furnace over my left all right but anyway 
Uh, you know, I, I love everything you're saying about the, the writing process. And, you know, I, I think for anybody listening, I would take the, I would ask them to take note of how versatile you are as a writer and how you haven't said no to any particular area. You've actually, you embraced the yes model, which is just, you know, you're like, okay, nonfiction, let's do it. Historical, let's do it. Like, you know, like, you know, like you just, you're very open as a writer. And I think that gives you a lot of strength uh, to stay, as you, as you put it, it's easier to be disciplined when you're having fun, right? And you're, and you're diving into these um, various genres and areas and uh, it's exciting. <laughs> so, well, I, I have um, said no to poetry. Poetry is where I draw the line. <laughs> that's funny. I love poetry. Right. I, I love it so much, but I just I feel like I, I, I prefer to read it over write it. <laughs> uh, you, you and me both. You know, I, I've been like I guess so many people. You know, I actually one of my first publications was poetry, and I think really? I stumbled on it. Yeah, I stumbled <laughs> on it. I think through I call it um, uh, angst. I feel like I was like an angsty writer and, and, and in poetry, sometimes like I feel like enough, at least at the time, enough angst kind of propelled this into something. But like I, I try to like go into that wellspring of like, you know, 20 years old and like, <laughs> like, can I, and I'm just not, not, I, I maybe someday, you never say never, right? Like I, I want to embrace it. Like maybe you and I will become poets someday. Uh, but I, I maybe maybe but I, I recognize that it is a talent. Uh, <laughs> so you know, uh, lastly, you know, I wanted to touch on quickly. You know, we're, we're talking all about writing, but your strength also is you're a wonderful organizer, and you have been a champion of the uh, Ridgefield Writers Conference, right, for a number of years. You've, and if anybody's uh, listening that's, that doesn't know about it, check it out online. The Ridgefield Writers Conference is this just wonderful event um, that occurs once a year that brings writers and publishers and agents and everybody together, and they kind of create and they come away from this experience um, having networked and all the, all the great stuff. So, and you've been running this now uh, along with uh, Adele, um, for years. And I'm curious, you know, what is, first, what's the value for anybody listening to participate in writing conferences? And is there, this is kind of like a side question, uh, what's the, how do you do it? Sort of like, at, not how do you do that's too broad, but like, what's the, what's your secret sauce of organization for something like this? Like, because you've kept the momentum rolling uh, as an organizer for years. And you've kept it fresh and alive and, high, you know, so much energy. So I'm just curious, first, why should anybody that's listening go to a writing event or participate in a writing conference? And second, sort of like, what's your secret behind it? <laughs> <laughs> great, great question. And I, and I have to laugh because you, you referred to me as organized a few times. I feel like anybody who knows me would, would laugh at that because I feel like I am not known for my my organization skills at all. But, um, but thank you. Um, so, well, first, um, the to me, the, the, the biggest, um, most important thing about a writing conference, particularly a small one um, like ours, is the community, um, the connections, as you said. It's a lot of, we bring a lot of people together, writers, publishers, agents, editors, and everyone's together in this, you know, one, sometimes two-day-long event. And it's, it's about building that community and fostering those relationships. 
And I think there's so much value in that. Obviously, you know, people are always looking to network and whatever, and, and that's, that's important. But so is having a community, a group of people, even if you just connect with one or two other writers and you start your own, you know, writers group from that. Um, I mean, there's so much value in that. And I mean, writing is kind of a, a it can be a very solitary, you know, isolating thing, um, act. Um, so to have the opportunity to connect with other people, other creative souls, I think is so important. And I, I think it really impacts creativity overall. I mean, when you can, you know, bounce ideas off of people or, um, you know, have show somebody your work um, and get that feedback. I think feedback is so important. I mean, maybe not everybody that, but I know I've benefited um, from, from, you know, my small group of friends, um, my buddies, um, when we get together. I mean, they've been so instrumental in, in helping me refine my work. Um, and I think that's just one of the things that you get when you participate in, uh, in an event like the Writers' Conference. But also, and then you're also getting, um, you know, exposure to other, you know, lessons and ideas and talks and all of that. And, and just sometimes just listening to another writer, um, you know, talk about, you know, whatever you, the the craft of writing. I mean, it's kind of like being in school again, you know. Um, I, I personally, I, I love being a student. I, I miss being a student. So participating in an event like this, it's kind of like being in school again a little bit, you know. You get to hear, take, take some lessons away. And, and I think that's also valuable, you know, continuing to enrich our minds and, and hone our craft. I think uh, participating in these kinds of events really help us do that. Um, yeah. Part of your question, uh, my secret sauce. Honestly, partnership, <laughs> <laughs> partnership with um, Adele. Adele has been amazing. I think we are a good team. We are, we're a pretty good fit. Um, mm -hmm. and we uh, we always. Um, I think I, I'm kind of like an ideas person, where she kind of she's better at the uh, yeah, smaller details. Um, the like, glue. Like our, yeah, exactly. Um, so, and we, we try to keep it fresh. You know, we, we have a great working dynamic. So I think that's been really um, crucial to kind of keeping this thing going for so many years. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that's probably part of it. And the other part of it, I would say, is I, I love, I truly, truly do love doing it. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's why I'm still a teacher, um, even though there's been a lot of challenges this year. But even that, like, I love helping people either whether it's making connections or refining their work um, or finding their voice or, you know, having an event where people can come together. I love being the boots on the ground you know, and kind of playing hostess. Like I love playing hostess. I think that's so much fun. Um, and I like to, I just, I enjoy it. So honestly, that's probably right there. Partnership and just love. <laughs> it all goes back to love. Well, I love this. Condense it all down to love. And for anybody listening, you know, you, you touched on a couple of really important things. One um, is finding a, a good uh, team, right? A good partner, somebody to collaborate with. And, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of times people think uh, there's this idea, I got to do it alone. You know, I got to build this on my own. And it's, and it's uh, I don't know where that came from, this idea that, like, you know, I, everybody says that, you know, um, in the pyramids, right? Uh, group effort wasn't built on what they said. Pyramids weren't built in the day, or whatever. But then this idea of group work. Uh, actually, pyramids are a terrible example because it's uh, <laughs> slavery. 
you know, forget the pyramids, but you know, like think of something in your life that, that it's a collaborative process. And a lot of times I come across so many people that think they need to do it all on their own. Um, and I, I think that's a, that's often a mistake when you, you know, like I listen to a lot of these, uh, you probably heard them too, like, um, you know, Exponential Wisdom is a great podcast. If anybody, if anybody loves it, list, likes uh, futuristic stuff, it's, you know, Peter D. Manis, and it's just, it, it, it's wonderful. But in it, they have a great episode called uh, Knowing Your Who's, Your Who's, right? And it's building an empire, right? It's, it's building something requires working with the right people and having full faith in your team and then building out the right team, right? You get the right people. And like what you and Adele have and you've done with the Ridgefield Writers Con Conference is just a wonderful example of uh, cross-promotion and then just coming together, two writers, you bring it, and then you create an event. And uh, and I've been to this event. Uh, I was lucky to speak at it a couple times. And I was there last year with Woodall Press selling books. And uh, and it was it's it's an amazing experience. So anybody listening, please uh, be sure to check it out. And, and, and to your point, point to uh, networking gets a dirty word all right uh because it's like it but you know what i call it just organic natural uh just friendships and if something comes from those friendships in the future great um but one of the best things that come from the friendship is actually just the friendship <laughs> and then right. if that friendship you know in some way aids you both in the future right that's that's a good thing but it doesn't have to <laughs> exactly uh everything you said i'm just like firing on it so many thoughts uh i'm gonna be like thinking about this after but um and you know what just because time's almost up let me give you the last questions that i always ask everybody one uh coffee or tea <laughs> wait coffee or tea yeah what do you like coffee or tea i'm, I'm oh, giving you a curveball 100 percent tea. tea i'm definitely a tea person i drink tea pretty much all day long green tea in particular <laughs> <laughs> you know what i'm coming over to the dark side i've been doing uh i don't know if it's, it's something about something about the new year something something happened and i've been doing as much tea now as i have coffee i don't know mind blown uh <laughs> i wrote a whole i have a whole chapter in my book about tea <laughs> <laughs> um so next is you know do you have what gets you what gets you up each morning what gets you out of bed do you have like a you know a theme song to life a motto a mantra do you have something like you know like that just gets you moving you know uh what do you got <laughs> that's a great question oh that that's probably you know that's the most difficult question you've asked I, honestly like when i wake up in the morning now i, I don't feel like i have time to think because like nine times out of ten my two-year-old like in my face and asking me for for food right away before I even <laughs> so <laughs> so <laughs> so my motto is new day new chapter I, i'm not sure <laughs> but basically just getting to the next cup of tea <laughs> you know you'll you pay attention to this now next time like you're in the zone or you're like find what song you start humming because for some reason since i've been doing this since i probably was like 19 years old or something yeah. i start humming taking care of business every day and it's the funniest thing because like i don't particularly like the song i don't like the song but for whatever reason when i'm like in the zone I, i'm like taking care of business and that's what i know i'm like having like a productive day like that that kind of like gets me 
taking care of business for what I, I it's terrible but it works. No, um, it's great. Like, I'm trying to think back now. Like, what's my? <laughs> I think it depends on my mood too. Like, uh, you know, I gotta be honest. I love me some like '90s rock. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> 90s yes. Rock is probably like. I mean, and there's like a bunch of, of different songs and artists. I can't think of one in particular, but like, I'd have to go with '90s rock. Yes. Hundred <laughs> percent. I I love hearing this '90s rock. That's like. <laughs> yes. Um. And then last question, just, you know, is there anything, uh, a tip, uh, a piece of advice for anybody listening right now that, you know, they're, they're writers, they're, they're whatever area they are in the, you know, writing spectrum, whether they're publishing, whether they're writers, whatever it is, do you have any advice uh, or a tip or anything for anybody listening? I mean, my advice would be to just, I, I think the most important thing is to write I think you have to write for yourself before you can write for anyone else. And yeah. I think that, you know, being true to your, your art and your talent and, and your voice. And yeah. once you do that, then, you know, put it out there, share it out. And, and I guess second, a second thing I would say is, um, you know, don't get discouraged. I feel like yeah. rejection is a big part of writing. Yes. And yes. Certainly very frustrating at times, but I think, to you know persevere and always always keep putting yourself out there always keep sending your stuff out submit 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 <laughs> um, yeah. even if you're getting rejection after rejection keep doing it keep believing in yourself yeah almost take the rejections as a pride like i remember doing the same thing like i took all the rejections for a story and i was like pasting them just so i could see the th and then eventually when that gets published um you can look at all those rejections and you get a sense of pride from it like you persevered even though you know everybody was telling you no exactly uh, uh yeah well uh so what would you like uh and how can people get a hold of you what do you want them to follow is there a website what, what do you got like how do people get in touch with you <laughs> well now that i'm more comfortable with instagram <laughs> i'm probably gonna be using more instagram stuff but um you can follow, you can like me or follow me, um, Rebecca Dimian, writer and editor um, on Facebook. Um, I also have a website, RebeccaDimianWriter.com. So you can find me there. And then um, I, I don't have a very original name on, on Instagram. I think I just, I don't even know. What am I, R. Dimian? Or is it just Becca? I don't, I don't even know. Uh, I think you're R. Becca. Okay. I just, okay. <laughs> yeah, so that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for anybody listening, it's um, D-I-M-Y-A-N. Um, just in case, like, you know, you're looking it up. Um, yeah, I spelled that right, right? Yeah, yeah. I am like, yeah, okay, good. <laughs> like, 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 yeah. and, and you know what? I was, I was the uh, third place spelling bee champion of middle school, and now I'm like struggling to spell like the simplest of things lately. I'm just like, it's, it's, it's actually it's getting kind of disturbingly bad. Like, the other day, I'm like, uh, just, uh. <laughs> that's so funny. You know, I feel like I've become like so I used to be a great speller in elementary school. Yeah. The autocorrect and it's like Yes, the autocorrect. Right? It's I feel like the autocorrect actually is one of the worst things to ever happen to us because I am like I don't even attempt to spell the, the correct word anymore. I could just write like T H Z. The next thing I know it's like there. I'm like, oh yeah, that's what I meant there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Uh, all right. Um, so thank you, everyone that tuned in today. Thank you, uh, Rebecca. And if anybody has any questions, please uh, feel free to contact me directly at david at woodhallpress.com.